I see a very clear path that wouldn't take that long to get very comfortable for my family. But I don't feel like I can impact society just buying these little deals and building a $20 million portfolio or $30 million portfolio. I can, but on a much smaller scale. Sure. If I can build a $150 or $250 million portfolio, there's just more there that I can then do good with it. Right. So awesome. I feel like God has given me the ability to learn a certain skill set, and we can now take that and try to give back. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss. Excited to be here again with another wonderful guest. I'm so blessed to have, as we were just talking about, so many amazing people in my network. As you just heard not so long ago, your network is your net worth. Today, we have Simcha Davidman on the podcast. What's going on, Simcha? Thank God. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. A little nervous. This is my first podcast. It's exciting. It's really exciting. I rationalized that I would be filler for you. So like you need to put out episodes. So <laughs> my story would just be another filler. No way. No way. Hopefully my story could be a little bit of inspiration for those people trying to get started, I guess. It will be for sure. And there are, I mean, there's so many levels to the inspiration. Number one, the fact that this is your first podcast episode. I'm very privileged to actually have many of the guests on my podcast be their first ever podcast. And I think it's important for people to share their story. Number one, it really reiterates to you actual guest on the show who's sharing your story, what it is that you're doing and why it's so important and what impact you're actually making. Number two, all of our listeners, I don't know, you know, you guys listening right now, but Simcha is a listener of the podcast, meaning he's listened to pretty much every single episode of Weiss Advice, a great fan. So if you're listening to this and you're a big fan and you have a story to share, feel free to reach out to me because I'd love to use this platform to help inspire others through the stories of just, you know, ordinary, but yet extraordinary people. And that's really the, that's the premise of the show. So Simcha, without further ado, I'd love to just give our listeners a brief introduction background. You are the founder of Parachute Investing, which is a real estate investment company. You invest throughout the Midwest. So you've owned multifamily properties, most recently medical office, industrial storage, doing a lot of stuff. And I love the fact that, you know, we met a few years ago, maybe, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, I, I forget. And you were really just getting started transitioning out of being an, an attorney into real estate. So with that background, I've told half your story already, but maybe fill in the gaps for our listeners. So you you told that half better than I'm going to tell the second half. So I, I was a litigation attorney in New York and New Jersey, and litigation is not for everybody. And I decided to make a career shift. I moved, we moved to a new city. And in that whole process of moving, I figured we might as well change careers. And I wanted to do something that I, I believed in and I felt like could build something bigger for my family for the future. So I figured real estate. I've always been like very into personal finance. So real estate kind of was just the next level of that. I worked for a real estate investment firm. They owned at one point, I think eight assets, but like sizable assets. It was like $130 million. And I was there for about a year. And there were circumstances at the firm that caused me to have to jump ship faster than I wanted to. And I decided to just go for it on my own. I had a 
a series of very long conversations with my wife. Like, should we do this? Should we not do this? It's going to be a really big stressor on the family for several years. I told her I'm not going to make any money for three to five years. And she was like, let's do it. You know? And that conversation was about three and a half years ago, a little more than three and a half years ago. So it's true. You haven't made money in the last three years, three and a half years. We did not. I mean, (laughs) it took some time to buy some properties and then we were able to sell the first property much earlier than expected. We sold that in, I think, March 31st of 2022, maybe Mar- maybe April 4th. I don't remember when we closed, but that was just shy of three years. Amazing. So, I mean, it's yeah. challenging. So, I mean, obviously for someone like yourself who is in that situation, who is looking to get into real estate, you need to have some sort of buffer or runway. I mean, you obviously to say, we're not going to make any money. You must have had some sort of savings that would allow you to have that freedom. So my wife was working, not making a ton of money, but making a little bit of money. I invest like our savings. I'm active in the stock market, options, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then we figured if we end up spending that down a little bit, that's part of the risk we're jumping into. But we figured we had a bit of a runway. Mm -hmm. We generally don't spend a ton of money. We tighten our belts a little bit and we wanted to go for it. You got to be in it to win it. That's right. That's That's what I figured. So is that like where the parachute investing came from? You're just like jumping out of a plane? (laughs) I'm just guessing right now, but I'd love to know what's behind that. So close. I mean, it's similar, but I was having a brainstorming session. Originally, I named the company or the first iteration was Continuum Capital because Mm -hmm. I wanted to build a portfolio where like the distribution, the ongoing growth is just continuous. And I got a bunch of feedback that that was a terrible name and it was very boring. So I had some brainstorming session with some of my friends. And I was just like throwing out, I was like joking because I was, I was just so bored. And I was like, we should call it cliffhanger because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> and they were like, don't do that. So then I was like, well, parachute is like jumping out of a plane. But then I was thinking about parachute, how whenever I speak to my friends and family who are not interested in personal finance and building something for the future, it really is like they're jumping out of a plane. They have no idea what's flying or to varying degrees, of course. But there's a lot of people who are not educated and absolutely not confident in dealing with their money and investing and all things related to that. So I figured the goal is to be like a parachute and slow things down, allow them to control it a little more. We can help guide them to the target. Like the logo is like a guy in a parachute hitting a target. Mm -hmm. So that's That's the story behind the name. No, I love that. And I love how like the name has meaning and it should like every company name, there should be some meaning behind that. And, you know, you just have to pick it. So I love that parachute investing. And I remember when you were starting out, and I think you had different iterations, you know, like you mentioned, at first partnering up with someone who had a little more experience than you. And then I think there were some other partners involved in there that didn't last very long. And, you know, to where you are now, tell me, take me back three and a half years where you're you know, we had this conversation. I actually remember when you came to my house, actually, and borrowed a <laughs> borrowed a book from me. You know, and we had this conversation. The best ever real estate syndication book. Or yeah. Apartment syndication book. Exactly. Yeah. Joe Fairless. Awesome book. I recommend that all the time. And it really is step-by-step tool to how to be a real estate syndicator. And I mean, you started out from, like you said, from nothing, had no real estate experience being a litigation attorney, and then just jumped right in. So First, I want to ask you, did you find that some of the skills that you had in law, you know, helped you in, I mean, are you able to like drop your own contracts or, you know, negotiate any of those skills have been able to kind of spill over until your real estate career? So I think generally professional, professional settings 
cause people to learn all sorts of skills and those general skills translate to all sorts of things. So mm-hmm. in term, in terms of the specific questions you asked, I draw up some agreements, mostly for the real estate. I hire real estate attorneys. I wasn't a real estate attorney, so it's really a totally different bag. Right. I'll read the contract. I'll ask my attorney like, hey, I have problems with this, this and this. Is it OK? Not OK? Whatever. In terms of negotiation, it potentially helps. There's a negotiation book. Well, never split the difference. That's a really good one. There's a couple others I read. General, just like a tip in negotiating that I found works. The person who wants it more loses or the person who wants it less wins. Hmm. Because, I mean, you can think about that. Yeah. I don't remember what else you asked. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, I think just going on that point, you know, when you really, really want something, it shows. But when the business is, I mean, you're putting out offers. I'm sure you're putting out, you know, underwriting hundreds of deals, putting out offers. Not a day. Not a day, no. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't say you're a robot, but you know, looking at tons of deals and then penciling out those ones that actually do make sense and putting out offers, you can't be emotionally attached to any of that. It has to be, yeah. you know, this makes sense logically, fiscally. What makes sense, you know, we'll negotiate. And what doesn't, we're not. But you know, oftentimes yeah. the seller is, you know, has a reason they want to be selling. And I mean, you've been on both sides of the table. So why don't you walk us through that? Let's maybe, if you could, just kind of walk us through your first deal, because I remember that one, small multifamily property in Arkansas, of all places. Like, how did you Arkansas. find that? <laughs> yeah. How did you find Fort that? Fort Smith, Arkansas. Arkansas. Fort Smith, Arkansas. So walk us through, maybe if you could, just kind of a brief, I don't know, case study or what have you, just kind of walk us through the process of how okay. you got there and how you managed it, how you got out. Okay. So I had a, a distant cousin who I never had any relationship with, but he's in real estate. He's been buying multifamily since 2014, I think. So when I started going down this journey, I reached out to him and he's been like a mentor to me, not like a mentor. He's been a mentor to me and he's been very, very helpful with his time and knowledge, experience. He's helped me with the first two properties, the first two acquisitions. And he had a property in Fort Smith, a 307 unit property. He bought it in I don't know, 2014, 15, something like that. And he still owned it when I was getting into it in 2019. And he's like, my property manager out there is phenomenal. Just meet her. Anything that she can manage for you, you'll be fine. Like, I mean, within reason, of course. So I met her. She actually started sending me some deals that came her way just because she's like, her network is real estate owners in Portsmouth, Arkansas. And she sent me a couple deals. The first one made sense. It's 62 units. I mean, 62 units in Fort Smith was not as expensive as 62 units, let's say, yeah. in New York or Miami. Right. Or, Atlanta, or any, any major MSA, sure. Or, or almost any other city. <laughs> but it was exciting. It was real nerve wracking. But it came a point. It came to a point where like, I either need to do it or I need to go find something else to do. Right. You know? Just got to jump, jump out of the plane and let the parachute yeah. take you to your target. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I had a lot of faith in this lady and she was great. I mean, she's not going to listen to this. Her name is Kathleen Calderera. She works for Gannon Cooper Multifamily. If you need any property management in Arkansas, Oklahoma, if it's a large enough property, she can do it further away. But Arkansas, Oklahoma, she can. She's very good. That's awesome. We're going to make sure to send this episode to her. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll get you her email or something. Okay. So, okay. So, Kathy sends you this 62 unit. And then what happens? Oh, I underwrote it. I thought it made sense at a certain price. I don't remember like the exact. I don't know where I started. He wanted... I think like one six, one seven, something like that. We ended up coming to a deal at one point four nine. I don't remember where I started. I, if we had more time, if you That's have fine. like a really long form, no, YouTube, no, we don't like, need to. Yeah, we'll, I could we'll just have... look it up. Yeah, right. But we agreed at one point four nine. It was about twenty four thousand dollars a door, and the plan was the average rents in this place. It's 
majority two-bedroom units and the rest one-bedroom units. Average rent when we bought it was $391, something like that. Wow. I crazy cheap. So that's why it's only 24,000 door. Sure. But the flip side of that and what inexperienced investors wouldn't necessarily consider, I don't think I considered this at the time, is that because rents are so cheap, your margins are much tighter. Like mm-hmm. you can't possibly run a property at 40% expense ratio, for example, if your rents are only 400 bucks. Right. Because your repairs are going to be normal price repairs, even though your rents are really cheap. So our expense ratio was probably closer to like 50, 55%. And like on months when we had big issues crop up, like they they affected us more than we would have if it was a larger property or more expensive rents. So the plan was to get in there, renovate these units like lightly, somewhere between like 2,500, 3,500 bucks a unit. And this was before the massive inflation. We closed on it in September, 2020. So like inflation really wasn't such an issue yet. Mm -hmm. And we were able to get average rents up. We beat our pro formas on those units that we were renovating. And by the time we sold it, about 18 months later, average rents were like four sixty, something like that. Okay. Well, that's still good. I mean, what what's in the market? I mean, is that I guess in Fort Smith, Arkansas, that's probably you know market. C- rent. So C class housing was starting to push. I think my pro forma was like five hundred and four hundred for the twos and ones. And then by the time we sold, we were hitting, I think, five fifty and four fifty. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, that's a great it, story. It, it worked out like collections. Collections, I think the month before we bought it were like twenty and a half thousand, twenty one thousand. And when we sold it the last month, it was like twenty eight thousand. There you go. That's adding value. Awesome. And I assume you made some money on the sale. The investors, I made some money. The investors did very well. The investors got, I think, one hundred and eighty three percent return, something like that. Awesome. Like a two point eight three equity multiple, uh, ninety one percent IRR. I wish I could tell you and all of your listeners that like I'm some sort of real estate genius. It happened to be, I mean, like happened to be right. I mean, it's coincidence for whatever you believe coincidence is that I bought this property at the right time. And then we were able to execute, but the market really carried us much, much higher than I ever imagined. Sure. And I mean, that's awesome that that was your first deal. And since then you've scaled up, you know, bought a couple more properties and continuing to look for bigger deals. So I want to ask you, I mean, I'm sure it was scary, like buying a a million and a half, you know, $1.5 million apartment building. Like some people and some of our listeners think that, well, I could never do that. I don't have a million dollars in the bank. Like, even if I get a loan on it, like I don't have, you know, a down payment, you know, of 350, you know, $400,000. Like how, how did you go about buying this apartment building for you know, that much money. OPM, obviously. There you go. Other other people's money. It happened to be at that time in the market, local banks were still lending 80%. So we got a loan for 80%. So we only needed, I don't know, less than $300,000. And I didn't have that to put into it. So I went to my family and friends and I was like, hey, you know me, you like you've known me for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. And I think I have the skill set that I can translate into managing real estate. Mm-hmm. So give me your money. And they were like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like a bunch of them were like, we don't know if you know anything about real estate, but we like you. So we like and trust you. I mean, no like and trust, right? That's, right. Uh, of course. The yeah, the no trying. is the first thing is no. But exactly. so you have, you know, friends and family. So a lot of people think that, you know, it's very difficult to go to friends and family. I mean, did you have pushback from some who were like, no way, I'm not giving you my money? No, no, <laughs> nobody was like, nobody was rude about it. Some of them were like, I don't have that type of money. Right. I, my money's tied up. 
I don't know if you really have any experience. Nobody was like me. Nobody was insulting. It was overall a good experience. Like you mentioned, one of my, I had like a partner at the beginning. His job was to raise capital because it was a, it was part of it. Like, I don't like, no offense. I don't like salespeople as a general rule. Sure. So like, I didn't want to have to raise money and be like the salesperson for this business. That relationship didn't really work out. So I ended up raising the money by myself anyways. So you've done Uh, it. like. Yeah, like over these whatever five six deals, I think we raised something like a million and a half dollars total. So not a huge amount. I mean, that's relatively no. obviously. I mean, <laughs> some of our listeners are like a million dollars. Like, how can you do that? Uh, like, you like you? How do you eat an elephant? You know, one I, bite at a time. I have never eaten an elephant. You never heard I, that? No, I know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right, one bite at a time. It's Just so true. One bite, yeah. You know how do you read a book? Right? One page at a time. You know that's sure. really. The story, you look at this, you know, huge book or this huge shelf in the library. I remember one time I was sitting in, you know, someone was at my house and saw all of these books. I have a very large, you know, Jewish library. I can imagine. And, you know, I've read, you know, cover to cover most of them. And many others are just reference books that, I, that I've that i used many times. And I had someone in my house like, how in the world can you possibly have read all of these books? And I just like, look at them like, you know, one page at a time. That's really it. Like, if you spend time doing something you will accomplish yeah. a lot over a longer period of time. So don't think of something as like this gargantuan, you know, goal or thing that you want to do as that huge thing. Think of it as one day at a time, one small piece of effort at a time. So I love that. Yeah, 100%. And consistency obviously helps. What do you mean by that? Even if you're going to do a little bit at a time, if you can do it consistently, it probably exponentially helps. Maybe not sure. exponential. So take me, you know, where you're at now, Simcha, in terms of what is your goal or what is your plan now that you own a few properties, you're operating them, you have investors. I mean, right now in the market, a lot of people are saying that there's a lot of uncertainty. We had a great presentation recently from Brian Burke. If you guys want to check that out on my Facebook page. And he talked about basically the instability of the market place right now, but at the same time, being able to find those markets that have growth and have consistent growth and being able to actually forecast things that are you know able to be forecasted in terms of like job growth and population growth and things like that. So I think, I mean, anything Brian says, I don't know him personally, just like through social media, anything he says, I think is probably gold. But if you're asking for my insignificant opinion compared to his... I would say you got to like tighten up underwriting. You can't assume as much rent growth, either organically or through renovations. Costs are like much higher than they were a year and a half, two years ago. So all of these things need to be factored into underwriting. So right. a lot less is going to make sense now. And then on top of that, interest rates, as everybody has been talking about for what, nine months, are higher. Yeah. And they're probably going to continue going higher. So changing the way we look at debt, like adjustable loans are a little more risky now. Short-term loans are risky now. Like I would ideally find a loan, let's say seven years or longer with several years of interest only mm-hmm. and probably lower leverage, probably like less than 70% leverage, 65, 60, something like that. Right. Instead of trying to leverage up so that we can maximize our IRR because we put less capital in the deal, that's no longer as safe as it was a year ago. Right. So I like saying, you probably heard this, it's always a good time to buy a good asset, you know? Right. So it's still a good time to buy a good asset. You just have to be more careful about how you define that. 100%. So what about you? I mean, personally, do you have any goals in the next couple of years in terms of what you're planning on doing or are you just kind of waiting it out? No, so I have goals, but like I'm flexible with them. I'd like to get into bigger deal space. Like we've done, we bought five properties. 
I'm under contract on one. I have an LOI out, like an accepted LOI on another. But all of those are less than $2 million. I'd like to get into the much larger space, let's say above $10 million this year. It's not only 10, like I'm not going to not look at deals that are less than 10, but I'd like to start buying larger properties. But with that said, I'm only going to buy something if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like as of now, I don't charge acquisition fees. So like there's no reason for me to just do a deal for the sake of doing a deal. Right. But if, if something does make sense, like even unstable markets, yeah, you could still make plenty of money sure, buying absolutely. real estate. So what's the reason why you're looking at bigger deals? Meaning what's the difference between that and the smaller, you know, one to two million deals that you've had until this point? I haven't told many people this. And now I'm all of a sudden telling a lot of people, I really like going the way we're going with these little deals. I see a very clear path that wouldn't take that long to get very comfortable for my family, but I don't feel like I can impact society just buying these little deals and building a $20 million portfolio or $30 million portfolio. I can, but on a much smaller scale. Sure. If I can build a $150 or $250 million portfolio, there's just more there that I can then do good with it. Right. So awesome. I feel like God has given me the ability to learn a certain skill set, and we can now take that and try to give back. Awesome. I love that. I'm glad I asked because that's really what it's all about. I mean, would you say that it's you know fair to say that managing or doing a you know $1 million deal is essentially the same amount of effort that's involved in doing a $10 million deal? Or would you say there's like proportionally more? Managing or buying? First either, or, or. either or. So the buying is probably very similar. You just mm-hmm. need to raise more money. Mm-hmm. But like every step you need to do, regardless of what, you still need a lawyer, you still need an inspection, you still need to do your due diligence. Right. Everything's um, the same in terms of that. Pretty much it. But it's proportionally more, meaning like instead of looking through 50 leases, I need to look through 300 leases. Right. And then on the management side, I'd say it's probably very similar to that, except it might actually be a little easier because you have more dedicated staff. Like we sold two of our three multifamily. The one that we have left is only 16 units. So there's like a small property management company that's managing it, but they don't have like a dedicated manager. Right. Whereas if I went and bought 200 units, I'd have a manager and an assistant manager on that property and they would do a ton of the work. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So that, yeah, I mean, that's, that makes sense in terms of, so when you have a larger property, when you get to, you know, 80, hundred units up or something, you can have a dedicated onsite property manager. Exactly. Awesome. Simcoe, I'm going to transition now to what we call the final four. Are you ready? Oh man. Ready or not? I hope I remember my answers. Well, you can think of them right now. First question for you is what's the worst job you ever had? That's easy. I was at a law firm, my second job at a law school, and it was the worst place ever. I don't want to get into details because it makes me sick. Okay. So it was bad. But just, it was terrible. Like offline, next time I see you, we can get into story. I, when I was there, I thought about writing a book about how crazy it was. But wow. like you, you hear stories about like toxic work environments. This was like the paradigm. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll get into more details. But next but time. it was good. It was good because it really thickened my skin and it showed me what I was capable of doing independently. Mm, okay. All right. Well, then we will uh we'll have to dig into that a little more next time. Second question, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Now, I'm going to preface it by saying I feel like most people that answer this question think that it's like the best book or the most paradigm shifting book. Sure. I don't think this is like the best book. It is a pretty, it's an interesting book. I think she's like a professor turned professional poker player. Mm -hmm. So she like thinks in a certain way. And the paradigm that I really got from it is that there's a gap between your decision making and the outcome. So like just because 
you made a decision and the outcome was good doesn't mean your actual decision was good or vice mm-hmm. versa. Like you're, the outcome could be bad, but your decision may have been good. And next time you're in the same situation, you should go with the same decision. So like, it's really two unrelated things. Wow. She calls it luck. You and I might call it something else, but like you do your best to make the decision and then the outcome kind of happens and then you deal with the consequences. Right. Wow. Okay. The title again? Thinking in bets. Thinking in bets. Okay. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. For everyone, definitely check that out. It's a new one. And you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people, when they answer this question, they're thinking like the best book they ever read or like the biggest paradigm in their life that's been changed. Yeah. But all of us can have, and I've had many, many guests who have said, I have you know paradigm shifts all the time when I read, because hopefully yeah. a really good book is going to kind of alter the way that you view the world or see things or think about things. And and that's really part of the goal of continual education is, you know, don't get 100%. stuck in your ways, keep it going. So yeah, I mean... So many books I would have on that list, but you always have to just choose one. So third question, Simka, what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I would like to be more brave or courageous in specifically in entrepreneurship. Because like over the last few years, I have come to realize that there is really opportunity everywhere. Like Mm -hmm. it, it took me a while to get to that state of mind. But now that I see the opportunity, I would love to be able to be bold enough to go forward and even when I don't know what to do and take advantage of all those opportunities. Like there's opportunities everywhere, right? but I'm not yet brave enough to go capture all of these opportunities. And I think it's, I don't know if you'd call it a skill, but I think it's a learnable thing. Right. It probably, I mean, it is, it really is. I think it's probably more working with a coach than anything else. Someone who has like accountability and kind of pushing you beyond your limits. Cause I think that that's part of it. We have, you know, this kind of fear of doing that and having someone who's accountable with us and kind of pushing us is probably the best way to go about doing that. Just my thoughts on the subject. Fourth and final question. Yeah. We're moving right along here, Simcoe. Sorry. (laughs) What does success mean to you? I think like on an objective basis, as objective as I could be about everybody else, no regrets. Now, whether that means like on a micro level, like Mm. on daily decisions that you make of thousands of decisions a day, or on like more of a macro, like how you run your whole life, like thinking 20 years out, 30 years out, whatever, it's no regrets. Like if you could go through a decision and be like, that was the right decision for me at that time, I think that's the epitome of success. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I appreciate that answer. And it's spot on if you ask me. Finally, we did it. Finally, Simco, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? The easiest way would probably be reach out through LinkedIn or Bigger Pockets, And then like from there, if I can... I like filtering out. I don't want to give everybody my email. No offense. But like reach me at reach me on LinkedIn. Just type in Simple Davidman or Bigger Pockets. And I'm generally responsive. Okay. Well, there you go. There. Guys, reach out to Simca. I guarantee you won't regret it. Thank you again for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad Thank I was able to twist your arm enough to join us on the podcast. I'm sure our listeners gained a tremendous amount from this. I know I certainly did. So thank you again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening all the way to the end. Remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. 
Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.